Welcome to another episode of Let's Run Fit. I'm your host, Dee Lit. Today, we have a very special guest who knows exactly what it's like to embark on a fitness journey. Joining us today is Rishma. She's a naturopathic doctor and PhD and ready to be our guiding light on our road to physical and mental well-being. For those of you out there just starting your fitness adventure and struggling with motivation and finding time, this episode is tailor-made for you. She's going to use her expertise to help us understand what is holding us back and how to ignite that spark. So let's get started. Good morning, Rishma. I'm so excited that you are here with me today. I always like to start my episodes by having you kind of introduce yourself. You are a naturopathic doctor and a PhD. So can you just give us a little bit of information about your experience? Yeah. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Um, yeah, so my background is in uh, healthcare. I was in clinical practice for, I don't know, 20 years or something like that. Um, and then I needed a bit of a shift for many reasons. Um, and now I am writing a book on intentional decision-making, talking to people about how to be more intentional with their decisions, because it's hard to make decisions sometimes. And we don't realize how influenced we are and how, you know, how many things actually impact our decision-making. Uh, so that's what I'm doing now. It's really wonderful. Um, have a podcast on sciencey personal growth type stuff. So yeah, that's about me. Oh, yay. I like people who have podcasts and partial <laughs> to us, you know, we have the same microphone, so we're good. We're kindred. I know. Kindred I spirits. love that. <laughs> I think we even have the same color that like tealy blue color, <laughs> which makes me happy because I dug into Amazon to find this color. I didn't want just the regular black one. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> How did you become interested in the topic of intentional decision-making? Cause that seems to be very niche down. So I, that has to yeah. be a backstory there. Yeah, there is, you know, I spent so many years helping people make really, really important decisions about their health. And especially I focused a lot on hormones and fertility. And so when you're making decisions about fertility, it's not easy, right? Like people talk about how to make the best decision, but sometimes there is no best decision. You have two very bad decisions and you have to make two very bad options and you have to make the best decision that's going to feel the most comfortable, but neither of them is going to feel right, you know? Um, and so I noticed that there were these patterns, there were these things that were happening. And I really wanted to, I guess, talk about it before we get to that place where we're in this really emotional, really deep space. And so I started talking a little bit more about how we live, how we choose our, our, how we make our choices, how we really live in a way that feels aligned and comfortable with our values, especially in times when we don't feel like we have a choice. And healthcare is one of those examples. And fertility, I think is, is another one that's of course, really big and very intimate and personal in people's lives. That is actually really true, especially the medical side, because you always just feel like you have to do what your doctor is telling you and people don't realize they can ask questions. Yeah. And you're like, well, that doesn't really work for me. Can we try something else? Because I've had to have that, you know, exact conversation where they want to put me on a medicine. I'm like, mm. and I went home and my husband's like, you know, you can just tell them no. Right. I was like, oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. I think it's important to ask questions and it's important to know that not every health provider knows every single thing. Like we're human too, right? We don't have all the answers. So it should be, I think, a more of a collaboration with the patient and the doctor asking questions, making sure that this suggestion works for you, making sure that you're not having any issues, side effects. And in my field, especially because I took a more proactive approach, a lot of it was also like, 
the emotion that came along with that decision, you know, the regret that came along with it, the relationship, because you're, you know, fertility is a whole family thing, right? You're working with your partner, you might have different approaches, different opinions. So there's all of these things that are sort of intermixed with that. And I think in a regular healthcare approach, we don't take all those things into account. And I think it's really important to do that. Those are, there's so much that goes into so many different things. So going into kind of the conversation of, you know, making a good goal and finding starting points and things like that, because obviously when you're needing to make a decision, you kind of have to decide where to start. Yeah. How, what is like important for individuals to really embrace their current starting point into making that lifestyle change instead of whatever they think they should be? Yeah. The biggest thing I think is really self-awareness. And this is something that, you know, a lot of people think they're self-aware and we want to think that we're self-aware, but it's not easy to be self-aware. And I think this is a really important piece. We want to just make a quick decision. We want to know the answer, but at the end of the day, we have to know ourselves. We have to know our personalities. We have to know our fears, like some of the things that we really don't want to admit because otherwise we end up making choices based on something that we don't want to make a choice about. So I, I think you mentioned that you watched my TED talk. Like a lot of what I talk about is that we make these choices, not realizing that we are made a choice at all, or we have a choice made for us because someone else told us something. So imagine, let's say, for example, you talk a lot about running, so I'll try to keep my examples <laughs> in this area. Um, imagine, you know, when you're young, someone tells you, oh, you can't run or you look horrible in your workout gear or whatever. Someone tells you something and it really impacts you, especially at a young age, right? Even at any age, but especially at a young age, somehow we then internalize this. And ever after that, anytime we try to work out, we try to put on workout gear. We remember this thing that happened, maybe not consciously, but in our minds, it sort of affects the decisions that we make. I don't want to go to the gym because someone might look at me. I don't want to be laughed at. I don't want, you know, there's all of these things. Even if I just give a really personal example for me, when I was younger, I had asthma and asthma is as a whole thing. It's of course, it's a health condition. Yeah, everyone's different. But for me as an adult, I've learned how to manage my asthma really, really well. But when I was younger, I was not good at sports. <laughs> I was never picked first for the sports team. You know, there's all this emotion that's associated with my asthma and the connection of me being able to be active. But as an adult, I'm super active. I've managed my asthma, but there's something inside my head that still reminds me, what if I can't do it? And that's where the, the change has to happen when you're making your goals, when you're being intentional about your decisions. I have to be really self-aware to know that some of these things happened that are no longer true for me. That is actually and really true. It's a yeah. really big change to make, right? I'm over here thinking of things that happened in my past that pop up in my head a lot. And I'm like, whoa, that actually, that's legit. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And it impacts you. You don't realize how much it does, right? Like in my head, there were so many times where I was like, I can't do that because I have asthma. I can't, you know, anytime I start breathing fast, I start, it's really hard for me. I need to stop where I had to change that narrative in my head, right? Obviously people who have asthma, they should be talking to their doctors. It's different <laughs> for everyone, but for me, it's been managed. So I can do those things. In fact, I have now as an adult, but I had to change that, that perception and almost that identity, right? Where I thought, well, I'm not athletic and now I'm older and I'm like, well, actually I kind of am, you know? Exactly. Like that is really amazing. I think so many people like to discount how much of what happens to us when we're younger really affects us as adults because yeah. it's kind of like stigmatized that you think, Oh, well, that's just what you say in therapy. Look, 
there's a reason that's like the stigma because everything that happens in your childhood does affect, you know, your brain development and what goes with you. And so many people forget that. Like, it's just absolutely crazy. The number of things that happened in my childhood, because I had a great childhood. I really did compared to so many people in this world. I was so blessed, but there were still things that happened that affect me as an adult that weren't the greatest. And it's like making sure you can work through those things. It's and it, uh, it can also be as an adult. Like if you have a lot of friends who aren't very active and who make fun of you for like, oh, I would never do that. You're running. I would never do that. Like even just as an adult hearing that it's very discouraging, right? That's why people talk about being careful who you hang out with and making sure you know who your friends are. And, you know, the, you're the average of the five people you hang around with. Like they say that because these things really eat away at our motivation. And it's hard to make a goal that feels a little uncomfortable when no one's cheering you on and people are sort of mocking you for it. You know, I, I used to always say because of my naturopathic background, you know, we talk a lot about nutrition and eating well and making sure you're, you know, careful about what you're eating. And then I would go out on, on social events and someone would be like, uh, you know, you didn't see this, I'm eating dessert. And I'm like, I'm not judging you. <laughs> this is not, I don't care if you're eating dessert. Of course, I, I want to be healthy and I want to tell people to be healthy, but I'm human too. And we're all, you know, working towards this to try to be healthier, live better. We're all kind of in it together. So I guess just going back to your question about making goals, the self-awareness piece is really, I think, crucial because often we make goals that aren't a good fit for us. It's actually very true. When you kind of combine all of those things, because I know as a runner myself, the most common question I get asked is either how fast can you run a hundred meters or what was your marathon time? And I'm like, I don't do either of those things. I do half marathons and like five K's. Like I don't time myself as a sprinter and I haven't made it to a marathon yet. And for a very long time, when I first started running, I made my goal to try to run a marathon way too soon, just because people kept telling me, you haven't run a marathon. Are you a runner? If you haven't run a marathon, I'm like, at that point, I was like, actually, no, I'm not a runner. I need to train for a marathon. I have to do this. And then during that training, I was actually working with one of my coaches and she goes, you know, if you're not ready, you're not ready. It doesn't matter. And she's like, you can drop back to the half. You love half marathons. Like just do it. And I never realized until she said that how much outsiders made me feel like I had to run that marathon. And then beyond that, it was also me setting a goal that wasn't attainable because I didn't have a lifestyle at the moment that could accommodate marathon training. Cause for those who don't know, marathon training is essentially a part-time job it's 15, 16 hours of running pretty much weekly. Cause you have like your two to four hour long run on the weekend all at one time. And then at least about an hour during the week. And I didn't have that time because I was a track coach and also teaching and, you know, had a family and everything. So I had all of this stuff that was combining and it caused me to actually almost burn out on running. I stopped running for about two months after I decided I'm just going to kind of drop back. Because yeah. I went way too high and I was going for this perfection, what I thought a marathon training plan could be, which now I've talked to my coach again and learned that I don't have to do six days of running a week to train for a marathon. She's like, you still got to run, obviously, but she's like, we can get something onto your schedule that fits you and your body and your recovery rates. And I was just facing what everyone had told me marathon training was and trying to fit it in. So I feel like that's another good question to ask you about is the pursuit of perfectionism, whether it's about what you think running should be, or I think that this is what the perfect house should be. So this is going to be my cleaning routine or 
any kind of situation of what you think it should be, how can that contribute to burnout and hinder success? And why is that not the goal? So I feel like that would be a really good question to ask of why we do that. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So many of us are into this whole perfection thing, right? But because we want to be our best, we want to maybe show up as our best. Maybe we're afraid of judgment. We're afraid of, you know, failing or falling on our face. Like there's so many things that are linked into perfection. And and I think there's also a dialogue where you always have to do something better, right? Like you run 5k. Now you have to run 10k. Now you have to run a half marathon. Now you have to run a marathon. You can't just stick with what you have. And I think there's definitely a balance between what is challenging enough for me that I feel like I am growing. I feel like I am um, learning. I feel like I am maintaining my health versus what is too much for me. There's this difference, right? And I think this, this aim for perfection, I mean, there's so many things around it in the research, actually perfectionism holds you back because when you feel like you can't do something perfectly, you just don't do it. And so in the research, we talk a lot about how perfectionism holds us back. But I think as human beings, I mean, I certainly have some of that too, right? I want to make sure that what I do is good and well done, but I, I hold myself to this high standard. And I'll give you an example from when I first had my kids, I had been active. I'd been going to the gym. I'd been doing activities, sports, things like that. And then I had my kids and of course your body changes, your abilities change. And I had all these expectations of what I was going to be able to do. And then I would be like, my kids are going to nap and I'm going to go to the gym, (laughs) right? Like you're already laughing. This is not a realistic goal for me at that point, especially since in my head, I was able to do all these things, but I hadn't done all those things for at least a year while I was pregnant. Right. And so you, you have all these expectations of yourself and then this is the worst part about it is you beat yourself up about it. You think I can't do this. This sucks. You know, I'm, it's almost like you're, this is what I tell my kids. It sounds a little harsh, but this is what I tell them. Cause I want them to know and not grow up like this. You're sort of bullying yourself, right? Like when you're hard on yourself for not being perfect, you end up saying cruel things to yourself that you would never say to someone else. Someone else had told me, oh, I didn't make it to the gym. I was tired. My kid was up all night. I would have been like, that's okay. You tried, you know, where I wouldn't tell myself that. And so I think there's this connection between perfectionism and this harsh inner critic. And that is a really damaging thing. Because if we can't be compassionate with ourselves, we're not going to end up making any progress. So there is this, I think this idea of, I don't want to just be good enough because I want to grow and I want to do better and I want to push myself, which is fair. We don't want to get stagnant, but then we don't want to push ourselves so much that then we get discouraged or even hurt, like physically hurt, right? If you push yourself too hard, you can hurt yourself and then you'll get even further behind because now you have to go through an injury, right? So I think it's a very tricky balance. Um, Anyway, does that answer your question? I have so much more to say about this. (laughs) (laughs) It does. And trust me, we're coming back to the perfectionism because that is something that I feel is so common in the fitness world because the people who normally are promoting fitness are trying to promote their perfect program. That's going to give you perfect results. And they're like, this is going to be the one size fits all, but that's not how fitness works. Nothing is one size fits all, but that's the message that you hear because everyone's trying to promote themselves as this one size fits all. Cause if you're like, I can do what you need, then you're like, so then you mold to everyone. So you're not actually that great. But in fact, that is what's great. And it's trying to get away from all those subtle cues that we're being told in the world that you have to be 
this particular box to be considered this when in fact you could be anything on the planet, you know? So like perfectionism is just so difficult. And like you mentioned, it's in everything in life, not just, you know, fitness, it's everywhere. And then like you also mentioned, you start to bully yourself when I didn't fit into that, you know, stereotypical marathon training box. I started telling myself I was a runner. I guess I'm not good enough for this. Why did I even bother? And I was saying all these terrible things that if I had ever heard myself say to one of my athletes, I would have been like, no, that's not okay. Like, even if I hear like a stranger say something to one of my athletes during training, I go up to that stranger. Like, you are not going to talk to my athlete that way. They are freaking killing it. You're not even out here. What are you doing? But then I was talking to myself that way. And I feel yeah. like that happens so often because of these just unrealistic goals that we set. Yeah, yeah, for sure. We all unrealistic do. expectations. It's think, so bad. I think there's also this uh, idea. I think a lot of people don't realize this when they're setting goals for themselves in flow research. So flow is essentially like when you get, you're getting, you know, you feeling the flow, you're getting into an activity <laughs> and you kind of like feel in it and you're very present and very, you know, this is sort of the goal that I think we all uh, strive towards, especially with running. Cause people say that running is so calming and, and really like a flow activity. But if you're a beginner runner, right? So if I'm running, like I'm in pain, <laughs> it, it it's not fun, right? Like I'm still figuring out, oh, how do I not trip when I run over this curb? Like there's all these things that are getting in my way of getting into this flow state. So it takes a lot of practice to get into the place where you feel comfortable with an activity, whether it's running, biking, swimming, whatever it is. Right. And so in the flow research, they talk a lot about being able to set a goal that pushes you enough that you're trying, you're not bored, right? You're trying mm -hmm. Cause if you get bored, obviously you're not going to want to do it, but it's not so hard that you're stressing about how hard it is. Mm -hmm. Exactly. If, if it's too hard, you get out of this flow because you're worried about how hard it is. And you're trying to think too much and concentrate too much. And if it's too easy, you get bored. So there's a very sort of magic middle ground and that changes for all of us. And I think that's the piece that we forget. You know, the first time you run, you're it's going to be very different than the 10th time you run. And it changes quickly sometimes because our bodies are so resilient and so adaptive, but you can't just go from not running at all to running a marathon, right? You have no. to kind of take the steps in between, but we want to run a marathon, right? We're like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to run every day. And in six months, I'm, you know, like, it's just not that quick. Sometimes we have bad days. Sometimes we have, have, you know, we're aches and pains sometimes, especially for people who, you know, humans who menstruate, like you have a different, different days, you feel differently, you might feel better one day, more energetic another day, you know? Um, so I think there's this magic middle ground that we have to find. And that that's what I would say about finding this goal that is not perfect, but also feels like you're pushing yourself. What advice would you give someone who did set an overly ambitious goal? And they kind of got down on themselves and they're a little discouraged because they did fall short. What advice would you give them for kind of getting back up on the horse, so to speak, and getting back out there and trying again with like the advice you just gave about not making it too easy or too hard and finding that perfect little middle ground of meeting their bodies where they are? Yeah. First, I would really kind of focus on what they want out of running. Like what is, what is the purpose of the running for you? Is it that you're trying to get fit? Is it that you're trying to get healthy? Is it that you're trying to look good? Like once we know, and we have to be honest with ourselves, right? Like sometimes we do these things for reasons that we don't want to admit, right? Oh, I have to go to a wedding. So I want to lose weight. Like that might not be the goal that we want to admit to other people. And it might not be the goal that 
we think is the right one. We want to say, you know, like I've done this too. Like I, I, I want to be healthy, but that's not what motivates me to get mm-hmm. out of my house run. Right. So I feel like if we can be really honest with ourselves first, why we're doing this, and then we reevaluate why we want to do it in a way that is not judgmental in a way that allows us some grace and in a way that gives us motivation. So if I know, let's say, for example, that I'm doing this because I want to look good, then that goal is not really in my control. I, I don't have control over whether I'm going to lose weight, whether I'm going to look good. I have to reevaluate that goal. Is that really the right goal that I want to strive for? Or is it something that I need to work on, whether it be you know, my self-esteem, whether it be like what, whatever it is that I need to work on, I need to be really honest with myself about what it is that I want and what is actually motivating me. And it's okay to, um, to have that as a goal, but it's a different approach. You're not going to just run a marathon and then look good. Like that's not in your control. So really understanding what is it that you want? What is your goal? Is that goal judgmental? Is that goal going to motivate me? Right. Uh, is it tangible enough for me to really want to do it? And then focus on how much can I do? And again, being really honest with ourselves, right? Am I setting a goal that's realistic? Am I setting a goal that is going to make me feel discouraged? Uh, what gets in my way when I set this goal? Like if I say I'm going to run every day and I know that I'm not going to run when it's snowing outside, like, is that a realistic goal? <laughs> right. Um, so I don't run in the snow, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> nor do I. Um, but thinking about these kinds of things, right. And even when your kids are young, like, am I going to, am I going to run when my kid's been up all night? No, allowing ourselves a little bit of leeway, a little bit of grace, self-compassion, and then also just really being honest about our, our subconscious emotions. I feel like another thing kind of going off of all of that is we set goals because it's what we see other people doing. Like, I know I've done something just because I was like, oh, well, these people are doing it. So I should do that too. You know, and that self-comparison can really start to hinder, you know, everything. So how could an individual really manage their expectation to make sure that their goals are for them and not because they're trying to be like someone around them or they're trying to be like, you know, well, they did this. So I could do that too. If they could do it, I could do it and making sure that it's really personalized. Yeah. This is a tricky one because I think we're so influenced by other people, not just the way they talk to us, but even on social media, right? You see other people doing things and you think, well, I should be able to do that or they're doing it. So I'm going to do it. And I think just really separating yourself from anyone else and really understanding that, you know, that self-reflection of what do I want? Why do I want it? What's really happening inside me? And how can I be honest with myself about what's good for me? What's not good for me? What is possible for me? Um, and really challenging my assumptions about why I want something, what I think I can do. So I think this, again, self-reflection is really important. And then matching that, the way that I talk about goals is really needing awareness in your goal setting to make sure you're setting the right goal that fits for you. And then also having awareness in action. So we often will make an action that doesn't tie to the goal. So we'll say like, I want to run. And so therefore I'm going to run every single day, which is fine. Maybe that links together, but I didn't take into account that there are days I have to get up early. There are days, you know, you have to kind of accommodate your actions based on your schedule, based on your, your reality. And so this is another thing I talk a lot about is I I call it decision constraints. 
a lot of, I think coaching will talk about mindset, which is super important. So I'm not discounting that at all. It's really important to have a good mindset, but also there are legitimate constraints that people have, right? And so how can I work within what I have? So if you have time constraints, I can't change how long it takes me to drop my kids off to school, pick them up, drive them around. Those are legitimate time constraints. What can I do even though I have to do that. So for me, when they were young and I was taking them to their whatever gymnastics, whatever, I would just walk around the track while they were in gymnastics. And I could only do a certain amount of time because I had to go in and pick them up. And for me, it wasn't enough time. I wanted more, but that was what I could do. So I had to set a realistic expectation in the action that I was allowed to take or that I was able to take because of my constraints, let's call it. Exactly. So it's like that kind of work-life balance and being able to manage your goals within that. And I feel like all of that really connects is you, like you mentioned, you have to go based off your time frame, So kind of your work-life balance, or in this case, goal life balance, you know, but also that perfectionism, like you also mentioned, I wanted more time, but this is what I had. And this is what I went with kind of thing. So how can someone really identify whenever a goal, when you need to carve out time somewhere versus like, this is what I have. And this is what I can do kind of, you know, what I'm trying to say, like, what's mm-hmm. the difference in being like, okay, well, I'm going to do it while I'm on the track and I get this amount of time before I have to pick them up versus, okay, so I can cut this out of my day. Once we get home, like what's mm-hmm. a really good way that you can kind of give someone advice of how to make sure they're not letting perfectionism get in the way, but they're not also letting themselves be held back either. Yeah, this is such a good question because there isn't an easy answer. And the way that I think about it, I mean, first of all, it takes practice to really be able to know the difference. Um, But the way I think about it is ask yourself questions as if you were a loving, but really brutally honest best friend. (laughs) Like, do you have those friends (laughs) who will call you out on your BS and they'll be like, "Mm, like, is that really what you want? Is that really what you said? Is that true? What you said? Um, but, but they do it in a really loving way, you know, the, the best friend, not the person who's sort of like giving you, giving you grief. Um, so ask yourself questions like, is it really that I don't have the time or is it that I just stayed up too late watching TV or scrolling on my phone and I should probably get more sleep and then, and then I'll be able to do it, you know? So I think asking your, asking questions to yourself, challenging your assumptions, really figuring out, is this really true? And it's okay if, you don't, you know, sometimes you need downtime. Sometimes you need relaxation time. That's okay. But am I taking relaxation time because I need it or am I avoiding something else? You know, and you sort of ask yourself these really challenging questions, but in a very loving way. I a hundred percent start watching TV when I'm avoiding like doing the dishes. So I sit and watch TV, (laughs) the dishes are behind me in my house and then I don't see them. So I can just pretend they're not there. Yeah. I've done it too. I'm really good at that. (laughs) So going into more of keeping that consistency and long-term success with your goals, we've talked about avoiding the perfectionism and setting a goal that's actually realistic. What other advice would you have someone who's really beginning on a new goal and to be able to maintain that consistency? Okay. So this is one that I think I have a very, a, a little bit of a unique perspective. A lot of people talk about habits, which are great, right? Like there's ways to stack your habits and build new habits. The perspective that I have, and it's probably because of the work that I do with decisions is we have to find a way to love our goal, love the thing that we want to do, because it's not easy, especially if you're a beginner runner, let's say, and you're starting to run, it never feels good, 
right? Like you think that, oh, people love running. Well, the first few minutes are always tough. I think the first, you know, getting yourself out the door is always tough, no matter how many times. (laughs) Yeah. And no matter how much you love it, right. No matter how good you feel afterwards, it's, it, that's always a hard thing. And so I think that finding a way to love it, even when you don't love it, it's critical. And the reason I say that is because your subconscious mind will always move towards something that feels comforting when you're stressed. So the example that I usually give is for me, when I was young, I sort of developed this association with chocolate that whenever I was feeling upset, I would eat chocolate and I love it. And it makes me feel good. And I have this association now with chocolate. I have an association with movies. I love watching movies. It helps me like distract my mind. But when I want to um, make a new habit, let's say I want to go for a run every day. This when life gives me stress, I'm not going to go for a run. I'm going to eat chocolate and watch movies. And so I think we forget that life is stressful. Things happen, right? Things will throw (laughs) us off. And when we make our goals, we make our goals thinking we're going to have all this motivation like we have when we're making the goals we have, or, you know, it's a new year. I'm going to make all these goals, but then, you know, two weeks later life happened. And so if we can find a way to make an association where I know if I go for a run, I'm going to feel better. It's like, you're making a bridge to that stress relief. I know that when I'm stressed going for a run helps me. I know that when I need calm or peace going for a run will make me feel that. And that is not an overnight thing. It's not like you can just build that habit in seven days or 21 days. It takes time. But if you can motivate yourself enough to know that I am consciously building that bridge towards whatever it is, stress relief, like um, peace of mind, you know, good life. If I can make that association with running the way that I have easily made with chocolate and movies, (laughs) then I can choose that option more frequently because I'm not going to just get rid of that association with chocolate, but I definitely have now made a new association. So they both seem uh, interesting to me. They both seem like possible solutions for me. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. I was thinking the whole time too, in the running world, you could totally eat chocolate on your run. (laughs) (laughs) You need the carbs anyways, just take the chocolate bar with you and be like, I only get chocolate if I go on my run. And then you start to associate them together because I know habit stacking is something I read. Oh, I can't even remember what book it was now. I think it might've been atomic habits. I might've just made that up where it's like, if you know, you like this and you need to do that kind of combine them together. Like for me, I watch my favorite TV show in the treadmill. Sometimes I decide I don't want to watch my favorite TV show because I just don't want to be on the treadmill. But then I don't let myself go sit on the couch and watch the show either. I kind of stack them together and combine to help keep kind of that motivation because like it's pouring rain outside. I do not get to run outside today because it's just not safe. There's thunderstorms been pulling through. So to get my running, I'm going to have to go on that treadmill that I just don't like. And it's a lot of runners don't like a treadmill. So it's kind of like really figuring out how to get that motivation to stick. And like you said, association with things that you like. Mm -hmm. And association with a peace of mind or, you know, whatever your maximum goal is, like maybe your goal is just to run a 5k, but if your goal is to make it a long-term life habit, then maybe stress management, maybe being able to travel, you know, that's a big one for me. I see my parents getting older and they're, you know, they're, they waited so many years to travel and now they have trouble carrying their suitcase. And I'm like, oh, this for me is a reminder that I need to be active throughout my whole life so that when I get to that place, 
where, you know, I'm at an age that is a little harder to manage to get around. I want to be able to lift my suitcase, you know? So it's sort of something that reminds me. It's so important. Well, if any listener wanted to find you and learn more about your work or find your Ted talk, it's amazing. Go listen to her Ted talk about all of this. How could they find you? Oh, thank you so much. Yeah. It's livingxo.com. It's my website, livingxo.com. And all of my resources are there. I've got freebies. I've got the Ted talk is there. Um, I have my podcast as well. So livingxo.com. All right. Perfect. Well, I thank you so much. I appreciate you being here. Like, I feel like we could have just kept talking forever. So it was like really trying to limit how many questions I ask because we could have sat here for five hours because I find this so interesting. But I thank you so much for having me. It was really a pleasure. I'm so happy. Thank you. Thanks so much, runners, for spending time with me and listening to this episode. If you like what you heard, please hit that subscribe button and leave me a review. I always love to hear from my listeners. And if you want more Let's Run Fit in your life, find me on Instagram at Let's Run Fit with Be Lit. Until next time, runners. The information in this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for medical or professional advice. Please always consult a medical professional if you're seeking medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. The Let's Run Fit podcast is not liable for risk or issues associated with using or acting upon the information in this podcast.